Help us to reflect on your grace, Father God, and just uh, get a better grasp of who you are. In the holy name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today really quickly about um, a mess. First of all, how long do I go to? Just go. Done. I want to talk to you today about a mess. Um, and it's not like a pretty, like, oh, it's just I spilled something in the kitchen. No, like this is a, this is a big mess. Um, I'm a mess, you know. Uh, you're a mess. We all live in this, this mess. And uh, everything around us that we know, even the things that we call good, are really just a mess. We live in the middle of sin. We live in a sin-stained world. And um, we can't fix it. A lot of times we get on our high horse as like leadership students or as OSL students and we say like, well, I got this under control and I got this under control and I'm good with this and I'm good with that and I have accountability partners and I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I don't, I don't have a mess. What are you talking about? But uh, the fact of the matter is that we can't even come close to fixing ourselves. We can't come close to cleaning up the mess that humanity created. See, in the beginning, God had a mess of epic proportions to deal with. Humanity and all of its false knowledge and God... Um, where humanity and all of its false knowledge and sin and all of its cunning came together and made a mess for God that you would not believe. See, God had created this perfectly balanced ecosystem. God had created this, this level of perfection that no one could ever come close to, and it all got ruined. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Now, I'm from a Hispanic church, so... Um, when you got to say, like, come on, or amen, hallelujah, or gloria a Dios, or something. No? All right. Gloria a Dios. Let's read Genesis 6. We'll start in verse 5. Now the Lord observed the extent of the people's wickedness, and he saw that all their thoughts were consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made him, and it broke his heart. Bam. We broke the heart of God. For a, for a second there, he was sorry he ever made us. That's sin. That's the mess that we have to deal with. It's impossible for us to imagine how God must have felt. Like, just try and wrap your mind around that. He spent so long on making, well, seven days, depending on what kind of theology you believe in. But he spent this amount of time making, like I said, this perfect ecosystem, this, this perfect world. This literally a utopia. Everything was exactly the way it was intended to be. And then it all came crashing down. The second that Eve and then Adam took a bite of pure disobedience, it came crashing down. Imagine the look in their eyes as they watched, or the look in, in God's eyes as he watched them corrupt themselves, as he watched his perfect creation corrupt itself. Imagine what went through his mind. Imagine what went through his heart. We've broken the heart of God, and yet he still chooses to extend grace. See, nothing had been untain, uh, untainted. Everything had been corrupted. So, Let's, let's start off from the very beginning by immediately establishing the fact that, you know what, we don't have any hope. And we have already created a mess that we cannot clean up. Let's establish that first of all. But God in all his greatness decided he was going to fix it. And so we all know the story, Noah and the whole shenanigans. And God sends the flood and destroys the world and bam, start new again. But you know what, sin had already crept, crept its way into the hearts of man. Sin, the virus of sin had already contaminated our hearts so badly that God in that moment realized that, you know what, to destroy the humanity that I love so much would, would be, would, wouldn't even be the, the answer to sin. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Well, 
I, if, 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 I, if I create this, this perfectly balanced ecosystem and, and, and all this, in all of its glory, and then I hand it over to them, it's just going to get destroyed. And sin and humanity have become so engulfed in each other and so intertwined and so part of our DNA that to destroy one meant to, the, to destroy the other. Now, that's huge. We should all be destroyed. Now, I'm, I'm starting this off, and all you guys are like, already, but there's hope. Don't worry. There's grace. That's what we're preaching about today. Now check this out. Um, let me ask you, what, what, have, what have you done with a mess? What would you have done with a mess that stood before you if you were God? Like, what, what would have happened? How many times when, when we were kids did we like make a big mess in like the kitchen or we like spilled something? And um, I remember doing this. Like, I remember one time I had like a whole plate of food and um, it was like beans and like all the leftover like juice and stuff like that. And so um, I was like getting up to go to the kitchen and nobody was there and I had just made it myself and I get it up and I was like, and I spilled it all on the ground. I was like, ugh. And my mom had this like big mat right beside the kitchen. So I was like, and so I just kind of moved the mat and she wasn't gonna notice, right? And no, she noticed and I got wore out completely. But a lot of times, whenever we make a mess, we like to just kind of like cover it up or just slide it under the rug, but no. God in all his majesty, God in all his splendor, the greatest thing you could possibly imagine, chose to roll up his sleeves and get dirty. He chose to roll up his sleeves and wade in, waist deep, to come and fix the mess that he didn't even create. So he created the perfection. We made the mess, and he still chose to come in and fix it. That's huge. That's huge. Now check this out. He chose to extend grace to a graceless world. That's in your notes. Now, um, to clean up all of this mess, he had to propose uh, a solution. Now, the solution was a savior, someone who would come in and completely eradicate sin, someone who would come in and say, this is forgiven, this is forgiven, I'm, I'm wiping your slate clean, I'm, 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 I'm fixing all of this. He had to eradicate sin without destroying his people. But... Check this out. How could he begin the process of bringing a savior into the world when everything that's born into the world is already sin? Well, we can fast forward a whole bunch and we can tell you the story about Mary and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what I'm here to do today. I'm here to tell you the story about another individual. I'm here to tell you the story about Abram. See, God chose Abram. He was chosen out of pure grace. See, let's, look, let's take a step back and look at like the, the context of this, of, of, this, of this whole passage of what's going on right now. See, in this time period, there were nations that would war against each other, and it was all about what nation you belong to and what tribe you belong to and what people group you belong to, and, and the nations would war, and then this God would, the so-called God would, uh, would come in, and, and they would destroy the, the other nation, and the loser nation would be like, oh, we serve your God, and we abandon our God, or if not, they would at least question their God. So it was all about the nations and the gods that they served, and that's what controlled the entire world. So God looks at this, and he says, okay, I need a nation. All of them are corrupt. Dang it. What am I going to do? So God, once again, in all of his majesty, steps in and he says, you know what? I'm going to make a nation. I'm going to create an entirely new people group, an entirely new demographic, or, and it's just a whole nation from scratch. And so instead of starting with a, uh, with, with a tribe, instead of starting even with a family, he starts with one man, one individual, chosen by grace. That's where he grabbed Abraham, or Abram. Let's go to Genesis 12. When you got it, say, uh, come on. Oh, you guys are faster than I am. That you version Bible. Check this out. 
Genesis 12. Then the Lord told Abraham, leave your country and your relatives and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And this is the cool part right here. He gave him a threefold promise. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Oh, sorry. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and, you will make, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Bam. Just because he's God. Just because he's good. See, Abraham did absolutely nothing. If you look at, like, Abraham's life throughout the entire thing, he was a pretty big mess up. Like, he did some really dumb stuff. He did absolutely nothing to deserve the grace that God extended towards him. He would find out later that all he had to do was receive it. See, it was just, it was all God's idea. And God, the cool thing about it is that God didn't even give, like, a set of guidelines, a set of rules, like, oh, you have to do this and this and this and this to be able to receive my grace. Like, no, the, the Ten Commandments, what we know is the Ten Commandments that the Old Testament, like, lived by and all that stuff, didn't appear for generations. Like, he literally just took Abram aside and said, you, I choose you. And Abram's like, what? And he says, receive. That's it. And that's how he's been doing relationships ever since. He just says, receive. Here, take it. I give, I give grace to you. I give friendship to you. And all we have to do is live according to his promise. That's huge. So before, the, before all these rules and guidelines and everything was set in place, he just wanted a relationship. I read something in a, in a book um, called uh, The Barbarian Way. I don't know if any of you guys ever read it. It's a phenomenal book. And Erwin um, McManus said this. He said, um, I'm absolutely positive that Jesus Christ didn't endure the pain of the cross and didn't die on the cross so that we could have rules. He died so we could have a relationship. He died so we could be real. That's, that's big when you think about it like that because we, we step into church and we step into what we know as Christianity and there's always like, oh, you can't do this and you can't do this and you have to do this and boy, you really have to follow these guidelines and that's not what it is at all. All we are asked to do is receive a relationship, is receive a promise and live according to it. That's big. That's liberating if you really think about it. Now check this out. Um, being in Abram's shoes can tell us a whole lot about who he, who he is and, and, and give us a lot of insight as to what, how we're supposed to act, how we are supposed to act in, in the middle of a promise, in the middle of a, of a grace-filled relationship. Abraham had nothing to go on but the promise of a God that he couldn't even see. I mean, think about it. Like, now, if we step into a church, that's, that's in essence, a visible sign of, okay, like, that, that's a church, God's supposed to be there, correct? I mean, we can go ahead and make that safe assumption. If we, if we, uh, if we weren't, if we were unsaved and we came to a Christian family, you know, and we could kind of look to them and say, like, you're, you're supposed to basically show me, like, what, what God means and what God is and, and who God is, right? See, nowadays, we have all these reference points, but then Abraham had zero reference points. He literally received a promise from a God he couldn't even see. He heard something one day. Imagine everybody, all his friends thought he was crazy. You, you heard him tell you to move away, to take your, to take your family and to take your wife and, and to go away and to live off the, the land? What, what are you going to do? You know? He had, he had nothing to go on, but he went because he trusted in God, because he had faith. See, he trusted God with these, like, crazy decisions, and later on they get crazier and crazier in his life. And the fact of the matter is that he trusted God through the entire time, and God saw that and God honored that. He trusted him in spite of the fact that he was old. He trusted him in spite of the fact that his wife was old. 
that she was barren. She wasn't going to have no kids. He didn't know where to live. He didn't know how to live. He, he was just a member of a society. He was just a normal guy. He was, he was me and he was you and he was, and God chose him, chosen by grace. But he had faith. And what's so awesome is that in the moment that he trusted in God, that moment where he said, you know what, I, I'm going to do it. I, I hear this and I need to go on it. I need to act on it. The moment that he trusted on God, God established this important principle. And this is in your notes as well, is that a righteous standing with God comes through faith. A righteous standing with God comes through faith. And that right there is the most important aspect of God's grace. See, God called Abram to just trust him. And despite his sin, he found peace through faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we're filled with sin. I mean, like, we can't say like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I don't really sin that much. I'm, I'm not really a big sinner. We're filled with sin. We're born into sin. But if we trust God and if we have faith through God, he still brings us peace in the middle of that. And it's not like, oh, I can go sin, whatever. God's going to give me peace. No, I mean, we all, we all know. We've been in church enough to know that that's not how it works. But God does bring peace over that guilt that we may have. God does bring peace through our faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the key to righteousness. It's the key to peace. It's the key to that relationship. And as soon as Abram trusted God, awesome things happened. The Lord moves in. And in essence, he, he signed his name on the dotted line. And he formalized this completely one-sided contract that, that he had with a man. He was, he was God. He, he owes absolutely nothing to us. Like, he didn't have to do anything. And when Abraham displayed something as simple as trust and faith, God moves in and says, you know what? I'll sign my name on the dotted line. And it's completely one-sided. What do you have to give me? But you know what? I'm moving in anyway because of grace. That's that's beautiful. That's incredible. That's awesome. The fact that he comes in and says, bam, done. Provision, protection, whatever you need, I'm there for you. And, and what, is, what can Abraham give him? I mean, Abraham can cut an animal up and burn it. I mean, what, what can we give God? Oh, we, can, uh, we can pray a whole lot. Uh, we, can, uh, we can give uh, pieces of paper that are, that are green, you know? I mean, what can we give God? And he steps in and says, unconditional provision, unconditional pr protection. Now, as I'm telling this story and as, as we're going through this, I want you to understand that, like, it's not just like, oh, that's a cool story. Abraham's awesome. No, no, no. Like, this completely relates to our lives. This is us. We are products of grace. We were chosen by grace. It's not just Abraham, Abraham that was chosen by grace. You're chosen by grace. So when, so when we let that sink in and when we let that say, like, wow, like, all this that I'm looking at in Scripture, all this in Genesis, all this with Abram, and then he turned into Abraham, and all this, this, this is me. God saved me, and he, he chose me out of, out of sin, out of a mess. And the God of all creation came in and rolled up his sleeves and grabbed me and pulled me out. When we realize that, that's huge. And the story of Abram no, no longer becomes a cool story we learned in, in Sunday school, but it becomes, that's, that's me. That's real life. Now, he just asked Abram to be the recipient of an unconditional promise. Over time, he would come to understand it, but at first he was just like, okay, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll go do it. But as time progressed, and we know how the story goes, um, a, lot of, a lot of things happened in Abram's life, but long story short, he, he gave Abram an answer. See, Abram 
like I said earlier, was old. His wife was old. She was barren. He wasn't going to have any kids. He messed up with a kid, and then he had another kid and, and, and just messed up. But God promised him the one from his wife. So he gives him the answer finally. And we get to, and we get to the, the climactic part of the story. He, he finally gives Abraham the answer, but at the same time, he begins to put him through the hardest test of his entire life. And this next part is in your notes. It says, grace comes freely. God gives grace to us freely, but righteousness comes through a test. See, you can't just be righteous just because, like, oh, I'm really cool. I'm super righteous. No, your righteousness has to be tested. Righteousness has to come through persevering through a test. That's huge. Now, Isaac is the son. He, 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 God, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. I'm sure all of us learned that, and I'm pretty sure all of you AD people can sing like a, a song about it because you have a song for everything. It's ridiculous. Like, I've learned so many like Christian songs since I've been here, and I, I never grew up in AD. I had no idea. I guess I was deprived as a child. We had like felt boards. That was it. I don't know. But I'm sure you'll have some kind of song about Abraham. But, but check this out. He changed Abram's name to Abraham. Bam, instantly changed his identity. When God's grace comes in and when we establish righteousness through the test, God changes the identity. See, I didn't used to, uh, didn't used to be like a nice guy. Like I was, I was kind of a jerk. And some of you are like, he's a jerk now, whatever. <laughs> um, I don't care, no. But seriously, like in, in, in high school and in, and in younger years, I was really um, mischievous, maybe? I, uh, I just got into a lot of things I shouldn't have gotten into and, and got away with a whole lot more than I ever should have gotten away with. And I look back now, I'm like, man, that was God's grace. There were so many moments where I'm sure each and every one of us can say, like, I got through by the skin of my teeth. Like, I got through with, I, I have no idea how I came through that. And we like to laugh about it and say, like, dude, that was crazy, man. And the cops came and we took off. And No, but every bit of that is God's grace. We just don't see it. A lot of times, we take grace for granted. And we really, really like to forget about who we used to be. I mean, we're only, what, 18, 19, 23? I'm old man. Who, me, me and Katrina. <laughs> um, but we've, we've, we've still lived, and we've still been in sin. And look at the moment of deep sin, and look at yourself now, and tell me there's not a God that extends grace to you. That's... Words can't even sum up what, what he's done for me. Words can't even sum up the fact that he has changed me, the fact that he's changed all of us. We weren't all born with um, church ministry degrees and, you know, going to hermeneutics class and theology. And No, we were born into sin, and he changed us. That's huge. Now check this out. The next step in the story, Isaac. See, so yeah, that was my intro. I'm just kidding. All of you are like, um, the next step in the story is Isaac, the embodiment of grace, the embodiment of God's promise to all of humanity. This is, this is I, I, okay, this is Isaac. I don't know if you guys understand, but God made a promise to a guy that he was going to create a nation. And finally, he has a son. Finally, Isaac is the one. Isaac is this, I mean, hey, he, he's the one. This is, this, is, this is my son, Isaac. You know, this is the one the nation's going to come out of right there, you know. This is a nation in there. And, and Abraham, Abraham gets older, and um, Isaac grows up a little bit, and God puts him to the test, the test for righteousness. And uh, we find it in Genesis 22. Let's go there. 
And when you got it, say uh, amen or something. Gloria a Dios. Genesis 22, the plot thickens. It gets big. Verse 1. Later on, God tested Abram's faith, Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. There's, there's a little line in my Bible. Your only son, dot, dot, dot. And Abraham's like, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. Cool, no big deal, right? I mean, he was, he was a son of promise. This kid is a nation. He's got a nation in there somewhere. And, and you want me to sacrifice him? Uh, okay, put yourself in Abraham's shoes, because, in Abraham's shoes, because everybody's going like, right now, and I mean, I, I could, I don't really need, like, you're, like, carrying, like, wow, that's cool, look, no, I, put yourself in Abram's shoes, in Abraham's shoes, this is, if you had a kid, and they told you to sacrifice him, would you do it? I mean, if you had a, well, no, we, some of us may sacrifice our brothers and sisters, I was gonna go with that one, but that's probably not very good, I mean, if, if, if we had someone who we love so much, the completion of all of our promises, we've waited years and years and years and years on this, and and God asks you, okay, now that you got him, burn him. What, how, how, in, how in your mind is that, is that rational? But you know what? There's, Abraham had faith. That's why he's called the father of faith. Because I, honestly, I probably wouldn't have taken my son and been like, all right, dude, let's go up to the mountain. I'm going to kill you and then burn you. Come on, son. You know, bonding time. No, that's, that's ridiculous. But this, this part is so... I, I, I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that there's not like chapters and chapters between verse 2 and verse 3 about Abraham's inner struggle and like what happened and all that stuff. No, it just, he just said in verse 3, it says, the next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants along with him and his son Isaac. And he goes on to say he chopped wood and he, he made other preparations. I mean, it wasn't even like in a short time later or, um, and it came to pass that no, like, the next day, Abraham got up and said, okay, that's faith. That's ridiculous amounts of trust. He told you, he told you to kill your son. Do you understand? That's huge, huge trust. And then the movie story grows. See, this is, this is epic. He, uh, he takes his servants, and they take the donkey, and they load it up, and they go. And they're walking, and like, I, in my mind, I picture like really cool, intense music, like going through the background or whatever. And, and uh, they get to the edge of Mount Moria, and God shows them which mountain. He says, all right, you two stay here. And he looks at him, and looks in the eyes, and he goes, you come with me. He looks at his son, and his son's like, me, dad? And yes. So they take the wood, and they take the knife, and they take everything else that you need for a sacrifice, except Isaac doesn't see the sacrifice. And they begin to climb up the mountain, and Isaac's going like, hey, uh, hey, Dad, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, there, we, is there a lamb or uh, something, please? And, and I mean, imagine, imagine Isaac. I mean, it says that he was a boy of like 12 years old, you know? Uh, I mean, he, he could probably outrun his 100-year-old dad, 112-year-old dad. I mean, probably, you know? 
but, but they were, they're walking up this mountain, and, and Isaac's being obedient. He's like, well, I guess I'm going to go die. And, and he gets to the top of the mountain, and, and it gets, the plot gets even thicker, and the music gets really cooler. And they, 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 they put in, like, the fiddles and, like, the higher strings. And they, they, they walk up the mountain, and Abraham begins to gather stones. And then he begins to prepare an altar, and he takes Isaac. He takes his son, Isaac. This is the one. This is the one. He takes Isaac and he binds him up with cords, it says. And he takes him and he lays him on top of the altar he just prepared. And Isaac's going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And this is getting, this is getting intense. I mean, do you understand what's happening right now? Like, things are moving into slow motion now. And, like, the cellos are in now. Like, this is big. And, and Abraham, Abraham takes a knife and he takes it out of, his, out of his sheath. And he lifts it up above his head and he plunges it down. And just as it's about to touch the boy's skin, just as he's about to kill his son, and burn him alive on pure faith. God's voice comes in from everywhere and from nowhere all at once. And he says, Abram, spare the boy. He passed the test. I see your faith. I see your heart. And Isaac goes, and he's like, oh my God, my dad just killed me. Yeah, my dad almost killed me. He was, he was going to kill me. I, I, I like to think of what Isaac grew up with after that, you know? Like, yeah, my dad was great. He was the father of many nations, but he almost killed me. That's, that's got to be traumatic. But we got to look at it from the other side. See, Abraham passed the test. And the saving grace of God, this, is, this, this next part is so cool. The saving grace of God comes in, and he provides a ram in the bushes as a, as a substitute for the sacrifice of his son. He completed the work. It wasn't just like he left it. Off. God completes everything, and he, he completes every story of grace that there is. And I'm here to tell you this morning that he is going to complete your story of grace. See, even in situations like Isaac, we think, there's no way I could ever relate to that. Like, I'm not about to kill my son. But sometimes God wants you to give up the thing that you hold most dear. And, and, and we do or we don't sometimes. And, but I'm here to tell you, he is going to complete every story of grace. He's going to complete your story of grace. See, we, we know how the rest of it goes. Isaac grows up. Abraham gets old. But with Abraham, it had begun. The story had already unfolded. And it, gets, <clears throat> it, it, it ends up leading all the way to establishing a line that would lead to the Savior of all mankind, Jesus. That's, that's massive. Like Shane B would say, that's massive. If any of you guys ever talk to Shane B, he whispers all the time. But that's, that's massive, that, that is. The, the fact that from, from an act of trust and an act of faith and, and one man and one promise comes Jesus hundreds of years down the line because of the, because of the line of faith and the line of grace that was established. See, that's the common thread throughout this entire redemption story. Throughout the, the, throughout the entire Bible, there's, there's a thread of grace running through the whole thing. See, by grace, God chose Abraham. By grace, he declared him righteous. By grace, he provided protection and provision when he absolutely didn't, did not deserve it for him and his family. By grace, he even gave him a son. By grace, he would see the story through to completion. Grace. See, God wasn't about the rules, like I said earlier. He was about establishing that relationship of grace. God just wants friendship. He wants trust. He wants faith. He doesn't want rule following and checking off of to-do lists and, and neat little organized boxes. That's, that's not what he's about. It's going to get messy. He realizes it's going to get messy. He already rolled up his sleeves and he's already in on it. 
He just wants a relationship. He wants to extend grace to us, and a lot of times we, we just kind of, whatever. Let's, th- this morning, I'm, I'm wrapping up, but this morning, we really, really, really need to take a big, long look at grace and how it plays out in our lives and whether or not we appreciate it. See, God knew that the rules weren't the solution to the sin. Like I said, he, he didn't come and die so we could have rules. He came and died so we could have a relationship. He asked an undeserving man to trust him. And when that man did, he gave him the grace that he needed most and the, and the, 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 the thing he needed most and, and what he also deserved the least. He gave him a friendship. Abraham was, was a friend of God. How many of us can truly say that? Like, I am a friend of the Most High God. Abraham was because, he, because he, he, it was simple. He had, he had faith, he had trust, he had relationship. There was friendship there. That's, that's all God wants to extend to us. If Katrina can go ahead and come up, I don't know where she is. I think she stepped out. That was good. <laughs> Slip right by me. That was good. See, he extends grace to each and every one of us. So I want us to think for a minute, man, what does is, what is my story of grace look like? Like, for me, for me, it was... Um, you know, growing up and being pretty rebellious. I remember getting like screaming fights with my mom and dad, like, I hate you, you ruined my life, blah, and I was, I was so stupid, you know? And I remember like going and getting in fights at school and picking on kids and then just doing pretty much everything that you were not supposed to do as a Christian. And then the fact that I still said I was a Christian, that's, that was the kicker, you know? The fact that I did all that stuff and then, uh, and then my friends at school would be like, hey, what's up, Rev? No. That's, that's not even close to me, right? And it is in moments like that where I most undervalue the grace of God. I'm a mess still to this day. We all are. So what does is, what is your story of grace look like? What does is, what is grace look like in your life? I mean, some of us came from broken homes, you know? God pulled us out. That's grace. Some of, some of us came from broken relationships and really, really messed up stuff. And God pulled us out. You know, some of us came from not so bad of an upbringing, but a lot of, a lot of pride. And God pulls us out. Even in spite of us thinking that we're so high and mighty, it's him. We really don't deserve any of it. Regardless, God pulls us out. Regardless, there is grace. It's, it's unconditional. He's calling you to be the recipient of this unconditional promise as well. And a lot of times we, we take it and we look at it and we say, man, thanks, that's great. And we set it off to the side and we don't. How many, how many times have we prayed and said, man, God, thank you for your grace. Do, do, we, do we celebrate the fact that we have grace? that he gives us grace every day? Do we appreciate the fact that he gives us grace in, you know, in our day-to-day lives, in the little things that we screw up? I, we, can never, we can never be like him. We can never be perfect. There's no way. There's no way. We mess up every day. And we still undervalue grace in every situation. I want to invite you guys to the front. And uh, it's not going to be like a crazy, uh, like a free willy cry. It's, it's not. It's just, it's, I want you guys to just think about
Putting my focus on the waves, not on your face. I tell you I love you. I tell you I need you. To tell you there's no better place for me than in your. Thank you. 
Sing the song.